0: As I said, this follows on from the story of the feeding of the 5,000, which has been the theme that we've been having for the last few weeks. Jesus and the disciples leave after the feeding of the 5,000 and the crowd go looking for them. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats. And went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you. You're looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you trust in him who he has sent. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and trust you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread or always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever trusts in me will never be thirsty. for the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us and for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then so that we might see it and trust you? What work are you performing? It's a strange thing to say because they just had a sign. This one. 5,000 people being fed. Not only that, they knew it was a sign because it it says at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, the people experienced it as a sign. So what are they asking for here? They've already got a sign. But what's it a sign of? What's a sign that Jesus is going to be the new prophet who rises up and they, they would make him king he would throw out the Romans and restore Israel the way it ought to be. That's what they were seeing. It says, now when the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus performed, they began to say one another, to one another, this is certainly the prophet who has come into the world. Then Jesus, because he knew they were going to come and seize him by force to make him the king, withdrew again to the mountainside alone. They knew what the sign was for. It was for the revolution. There were 5,000 people. When That number is the same number as the Roman legions. It's certainly the early part of the Roman Empire. Legion was a, a, was a 5,000 number. Um, in Mark, we're told the, the same story. We're told that the people are divided into lots of 100 and of lots of 50. Who cares? Well, you care if you know that's the battle formations that Israel's army would take. These are clues to us that this is what this whole thing is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about, finally, the longed-for day has come when someone will come and liberate us and do everything and change everything. But he wasn't. That's not what Jesus was doing. In fact, he he confused everybody because when you've got 5,000 people literally eating out of your hand, that's when you strike. There wouldn't have been 5,000 Roman soldiers anywhere near them. The the Roman uh, legion, there was one legion settled in uh, the Palestine area, and it was in Caesarea Maritima over on the coast. They could have started something there. That's what you do. What did Jesus do? He left. He kind of basically disappeared. Whatever else is going on, it's not this. They're blind to what is going on. Instead of mobilising the revolt, he leaves. That's not how a commander's supposed to operate. But these people knew, in inverted commas, they knew what this was all about. They knew that Jesus was the new commander. They knew that this day had come. And they knew what needed to be done next. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven. This is how a commander operates. You feed them once... Then you feed them again and again. You've got to keep the army mobilised. And an army runs on its stomach, as we know. So that's what you do. That's what Moses did. That's the way it goes. Not just one meal and then disappear. They were reading the sign, but they were reading it wrong. It was not pointing to Jesus as a king, as a, a, as a military leader, as a revolutionary. At least in, not in the ways that they understood it but they were so certain that they were blind to it. And, those, and it's not as if they were stupid. This is years, generations of this thinking, generations of being hoped for, of reading the this precious scriptures, that what we call the Old Testament, reading this for generations and generations. This is what they were longing for. And the worse it got under the heel of Rome, the more people longed for it. And there had been attempts only a 100 years before There had been a great revolution. And it looked like it might succeed. And it did for a period of, nobody's really sure, maybe about seven years. Just for a short period it did. And it seemed like it was going to, and then the Romans came and crushed everything. We shouldn't be too judgmental. We're in the same boat. We've had years and generations of a way of thinking about what Jesus was about that it's easy for us to imagine that anything other than that is, is, is either strange or wrong or some sort of heresy. We know that Jesus' signs point to a different kind of world, but we've accepted over the last few generations that that's actually an interior experience, that faith is not something that you talk much about, it's a feeling that you have in yourself and you keep it to yourself and uh, we don't really know how we don't have much language to talk about it we don't know how to so we tend not to and faith is a sort of personal choice and it's something that some people are christians and some people aren't and that's just the way it is and there's not much we can do about it um, except try and encourage people to be more christian-like in the way they do things but it's somehow an interior spiritual thing and we can read the Bible that way too, because the, the idea of, an, of a kingdom and Jesus being a king is worried all the way through the Gospel of John, right to the very end, where Pilate, the Roman governor, who has Jesus in front of him in, a, in a, some sort of a, a version of a trial, and says to Jesus, Are you a king? Where's your kingdom if you're a king? And Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. This is in John uh, sixteen, I think. Anyway, near the end of John, maybe eighteen. We could read that as this is a spiritual experience. It's just an interior spiritual experience. But the world, the word "world" is used by Paul. The writings of Paul, remember, they come well before the Gospels, and in the Gospel of John too, and in the others. But, but particularly in John and in the writings of Paul, the world, world, the word is. The word world is used about a system. So when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he is not saying, my kingdom is some sort of ethereal other thing. He is saying, my kingdom does not come out of the same system as this system. It's not part of this way of doing things. It's not coming out of this worldview. My kingdom doesn't come out of all of this, you can imagine him saying, "Looking at Rome and its uh, its ability to control with violence." Whatever Jesus' new world is, it is far more than just an experience of personal piety or spirituality. Remember, the story of the feeding of the five thousand is contrasted because it comes straight after with the feeding of Herod's feast. Herod puts on a feast and in the middle of it has John the Baptist dragged out of a prison cell and beheaded, executed. John wants us to see there are two different feasts, one full of life, this one, and one full of death. One for the elite who can sidle up to the Roman Uh, authorities and to the puppet king that Herod is and one for everyone one that's about scarcity who has the power in the story of the death of John the Baptist which we had a few weeks ago who has the power is it Herod is it John Herod's scared of John is it Herodias Herod's wife who manages to manipulate Herod into having John the Baptist killed? Is it the, the, uh, the elite crowd that is with him, that Herod's scared of them and doesn't want to be seen to back down from an oath? Who has the power? There's scarcity, there's fear all the way through it from everyone. And what about abundance? There's no scarcity. It's an obscene amount of abundance. There's 12 baskets of food left over. If we don't see these two stories as speaking to each other we miss a huge part of the intent of John's gospel. Jesus' very first sign, there are, there are possibly seven signs in the gospel of John, and, and theologians sort of argue about exactly which ones are which and, and what they point to. But the first one, which is clearly called a sign uh, by, by John straight after it, is the, is the wedding feast in Canaan, where Jesus and his mother go to this wedding feast and they run out of wine and miraculously... Wine comes out of water. There's piles of water everywhere, and it's turned into wine. It's, it's a feeding of the 5,000. It's the, again, the overabundance. Not only is there now a massive amount of wine, but it's the best quality wine. I mean, what better story could you have? It's an, it's an extraordinary story of it's not necessary. Nobody needs wine. Well, maybe, you know, maybe this afternoon... When it's raining again, maybe we do. But, you know, you can get by on water. Don't recommend it myself, but you can. Nobody needs wine. And nobody needs huge amounts of it. And nobody needs it to be the best quality wine anybody's ever tasted. Whatever Jesus is talking about, whatever this new world is, It ain't a small little interior, try not to have sex with people you're not supposed to and don't dance on Saturday nights and all the things that we learnt that I thought was the entirety of faith. No wonder I was bored stiff by the time I was 19 and couldn't stand it anymore. It's not what it's about. So what does it mean to be a part of this? Well, Jesus says... It's not, it doesn't mean to, the way Jesus then goes on, it's not about being a part of this opposing army. It, it doesn't mean that there are a whole pile of duties that you need to sign up to. Remember how when they asked Jesus, what must we do to perform the works of God? In other words, how do we get in on this? What do we have to do? What's the rules? What's the regulations? What are the rituals? Which things do we have to attend and when do we have to go there? What do we have to not do? What do we have to do? What does Jesus say? Just come in trust. Trust the one that God sent. Trust that there's enough. Trust that the story of the 5,000, which is the story of overabundance, the story of the wedding, which is the story of extravagant pleasure. Trust that there's enough. Trust that everything comes from God. Jesus says, You know, it wasn't Moses that gave us the manna from heaven that enormous story that has sustained the Jews all the way through, that it wasn't Moses. I don't know whether they thought that it was, but Jesus is reminding them, it wasn't Moses. It's like everything else. It's all from God. The new world of God that Jesus is living in and living out of is a world of extraordinary welcome for everyone all the time. Our job is not to do certain things, but to live as if we were constantly loved, continually welcomed, continually given grace and forgiveness, as if that were true, we are to live that way because it is true. It changes everything about your aspect. It, I can feel myself, even as I'm saying it to you, I'm standing a little bit taller. I can feel, is, is this true? I mean,. I'm saying it to you. It's in the Bible. Half the time, I'm not sure whether I can accept it. How much food is left over? How how good is the wine? I I don't know whether I can take that in. I don't know whether I can let that be so much a part of my life that I suddenly become a taller, more filled-up human being. But that's what I'm being invited to. Jesus says, how do you get into this? Well, you don't. You just trust because you're already there. You just trust. And out of trust comes a whole new life. And you wake up every morning remembering, oh, that's right, this is all a gift. It's all a gift. I'm going to do what every three-year-old does, tear the paper off and see what it is, because every day is a gift. Amen. Thanks, Matthew.